I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Now, I know this lady. I just love her. I cannot wait to have this conversation with Mandy Freilich. Hi, Mandy. Hi. Thank you for having me on. I so appreciate the opportunity. Oh, well, I've known you for some time. We've been talking about having this talk for a long time. (laughs) We have. That's true. So I'm so glad you're here. So um, let me tell a little bit about you. Um, Actually, I'm just going to do a little because there's so much I could probably talk for hours. (laughs) (laughs) But you're Director of Innovation and Technology. I and you're in Wisconsin. Where in Wisconsin? Um, I live in the Appleton Fox Valley area. Um, so it's kind of uh, 45 minutes south of Green Bay. Everybody knows where Green Bay and the Packers are. So it's usually where I go from. <laughs> ah, so you're a Packers fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> the only one in my house, actually. Everybody else likes a different team, but I, I feel like that's not my fault. So I tried to start them out correctly with the Packers, and somehow they diverged into something else. Oh, well, that could cause problems. Yeah, (laughs) it does during football season. Nobody talks to each other. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) So you're co-host of the podcast Teacher's Aid on BAM Radio with John Harper. I didn't even know you. I had talked to John, and he mentioned you were, and I went, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I love doing Teacher's Aid with John. Um, John is absolutely amazing, one of my favorite people, and um, what you see is what you get with him. His energy is contagious, and he is awesome, so I love doing that with John. Yeah, he got my bad out. (laughs) 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 And it was scary, I tell you. So, Mandy, I've been really excited because I've read both of your books. They're just wonderful. Her books are The Fire Within and Divergent EDU. And uh, we're going to talk about those. All right. You've got to talk about those. And I also listen to you. You're passionate about speaking and coaching and supporting teachers. I, it's just, you know, that's right down my alley. So we're going to definitely talk about that. So welcome, Mandy. Thank you. Um, we're going to do a little bit different today. We're going to talk right, go right in what it was like when you were a student. I mean, maybe this is the reason why you became so passionate about this. Um, you know, when I when I was a student, um, because of my background and and my family life, I played by the rules all the time. So school is a very safe place for me, and um, I didn't like, believe it or not. You, might not guess this now, but I didn't like talking to people when I was a kid. Um, Up until I was about uh, seventh grade, I was very quiet and I didn't like talking to adults. I didn't like talking to kids. But my drive when I was in elementary was really about making teachers happy and, and not getting in trouble at home. So there was very little intrinsic motivation to do well. It was all very extrinsic, but for, for, for the purposes of playing school, which I did, I did well, it worked for me. So um, I even joked that, that at one point in middle school, they told me I was GT. And, and then later in life, I heard that they did some studies where they told like ordinary kids that they were GT to see if they would do better because they were told they were smart. And um, I always thought to myself, I wonder, you know, I wonder if maybe I was part of that study and I was never actually <laughs> GT, but just one of the regular kids. But um, 
you know, so I didn't, I didn't really, I, I got, uh, you know, I, I got good grades. I did that, but I, I wasn't, I didn't necessarily excel in anything. So, um, I, my job was always to stay under the radar as much as possible, not be noticed by people and just do what I was supposed to do. So in elementary, it was, I was better able to connect to my elementary teachers. And so, um, making them happy was, you know, one of my goals, but in middle school and high school, I didn't really have as much of a connection to them. Um, but I continued to do well, just more or less because I was supposed to, but like I said, I never really had any, any real intrinsic motivation to do well. I, I had, um, an issue with that when I did well, I didn't feel good, but when I, when I didn't do well, I felt bad. And so for me, school was just a kind of a, something I had to do and I had to do it well, which was what I was supposed to be doing. And I only uh, felt bad when I did bad. So I, I didn't have a lot of like celebrations in school necessarily, which is why I'm such an advocate for making sure that we celebrate things now and, and help kids understand that there's reasons to celebrate in learning. Well, I sure wouldn't know that as you, really, <laughs> because you, what happened, you know, you've, you've, we're going to talk a little bit about what, how you got that way. But right now, um, it's interesting because that was my life. Um, very similar. But I think that's the, the way the system was. It made you compliant. And if you're really good in academics, you were gifted. It had nothing to do with your skills or your, you know, maybe some of your artistic talents or something. But so did, were you identified as gifted? Uh, yeah, they they had put me in some classes in, in middle school. Um, but at that point, I just don't think they had a good handle on what gifted actually meant. And so the classes were really just pull out classes where they gave you more work because you were labeled as being bored in regular, you know, regular ed. So instead of enhancing the curriculum or anything like that, it was just, uh, you know, they pushed me into like Odyssey of the Mind and and they they did some of those things. But I I never felt like I connected with the kids who I believe truly were gifted academically. I think that I just was able to do well. And so eventually in in high school, I was not put into any of the gifted classes. Oh, they figured it out. I know. They're like, (laughs) she was part of the study. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But you were. See, the thing is, it's funny how um, if you know how to play the game really well, that's really not gifted. But what in the world is gifted anyway? We all are gifted in some ways, right? Right. And what you're talking about is finding those gifts inside us and that fire that you, and we're going to talk about that. I and you found yours. I, I sometimes think that um, part of what happened is that teachers felt like I was a nice kid who did well and and that I was I did what I was supposed to do. So clearly I must be above, um, you know, regular education. But I, I really, I honestly... And I don't mean this to degrade myself, but I really, I don't think I was. I think I was just really good at playing school. I knew, I knew that teachers, I I knew little things that helped me even get through college. Like teachers like big words. If you have a good vocabulary in your writing, you will get a better grade than the other kids, you know? So just like little things, little tricks that, that are the art of playing school. And, um, and I think that's kind of where, where that was. So, so the art of playing school could be a interesting chapter in in a book yeah, <laughs> how you can That's do true. that kids you can just see now with all the technology all you do is get a thesaurus and yeah no <laughs> doubt so um what made you go into teaching I mean I kind of have an idea now but 
Um, you know, actually, it was kind of a, I never yearned to be a teacher. Like some people say, you know, that they played teaching when they were little and all these kinds of things. What I actually wanted to be was a lawyer. I I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little kid. And my freshman year in college, I met my husband and we got married. And yeah, I was married by 20. I had my first child when I was 21. And I was still really trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, which is after you have kids is probably a not a great time to try to figure that out. But I really loved, I loved watching my kids grow. And when I, I showed them something and they learned it and that kind of light bulb moment that lots of teachers say draw, you know, uh, drew them to be an educator. And, and so it was really, um, I felt like I, I was drawn away from being a lawyer because I had kids, but I was drawn to education because I had kids. So I'm not actually sure because it wasn't ever my intent. I'm not sure had I not had kids early, I might not be in education because I wouldn't have had those experiences that drove me there. And now, of course, I'm passionate about it. And, and one of the reasons I really like telling that story is because there are educators who ended up in education like me. And I think sometimes we make them feel almost bad about how they ended up there because they weren't the, I dreamt about being a teacher and, you know, like all of these kinds of things. But I think that sometimes your path just draws you in a different way that ends up being the better the better way to go. And so, you know, I got into to education more or less because of my kids. I had the same story. Yeah. <laughs> we are, we are I, like mean, I, was, I mean, the interesting thing is I was a dental hygienist. Oh, really? I, yeah. See, I knew oh. I told you. And I taught dental hygiene. And I went, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> and I was working in my kids' uh, school. And that's when I realized that my life, I had to change my life. So sometimes you go different paths and it wakes you up. I mean, it's funny. I've had several people, you know, who were um, teachers and lawyers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. But it's always it it just amazes me how our brains work and how that grows. And so um, so tell me, how many children do you have? I have four. You have four. I do. Um, Oh, my (laughs) My oldest is in is in college now. So, um, and then I have one who is a, a senior and a sophomore and a seventh grader. So, well, um, if you have a picture of your family, it'd be kind of fun to share that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, I can do that. Wow, you are amazing to do what you've done and have four children, raise four children. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's family is everything too. It's it's just great. So. So tell me, what is your journey as an educator? How did you start? I started out my my very first year of teaching. I took a one-year limited-term contract in a family and consumer ed position. And I did that because there were, you know... just a complete, we were just swamped with teachers for every one teaching job. There was, you know, 500 applicants. It was insane. And um, so I was lucky to get anything at all. I happened to teach summer school with the school district and they had this position open and, and they were having trouble filling it. So I decided to fill in. So I had only practiced elementary ed this was middle school, which I swore I was never going to teach. I swore off middle school. Like I can't do middle school. And, um, then, so I had to teach family and consumer ed. I had to teach cooking along within that. I also had to teach sex ed. They gave me, they gave me an hour of, um, working with the students with behavioral issues. 
And I had the least amount of preps of all of the teachers that I worked with. And I taught like several different things. I think they took advantage of me because I was a first year teacher and I didn't know any better. But it was it was the greatest experience. I had to learn along with the kids because half the time I had no idea what I was doing. And so I learned that um, it was you know, the relationships with the kids that really mattered being in middle school. I learned that I absolutely loved middle school, loved teaching middle school, um, which was a complete surprise to me because I thought I was going to, to not like it at all. So that position ended and then I moved into elementary. And, um, but about five years in, I was working so, so hard, like everybody does. And I started to burn out and I didn't recognize the signs of that. And it's one of the reasons why I really advocate for knowing what the symptoms are of burnout now is just because I, I nearly left. I would have left education had I been able to find a job that would have supported my family. But the reason I stayed is because I needed a job to support my family. And I think that, you know, we talk about teachers leaving in five years and the attrition rates and everything like that, but we fail to notice the teachers who um, stay because they can't leave. You know, they they have a family and they need the insurance and all these kinds of things. So so I couldn't leave. I couldn't find anything else that, you know, even the the little amount I was making as a teacher, I couldn't find anything that would compared to that with the insurance and things. So I moved positions um, and moved districts because at the time when I burnt out, I was blaming the district for everything. And there were, every district has their challenges, you know, Um, but I was really just upset at the world. Not at my kids. My students were awesome. I was not, it was never the students, um, but it was all the other kind of things going on. And, And so I switched districts and I switched positions and I figured out very quickly that it was it was just me. It, you know, I had to really, I had to be reflective enough to understand that, okay, so I was blaming everyone else. I moved positions. I changed everything I could, and I'm still unhappy. You know, I had to, at some point I had to realize I had to stop blaming everybody else and start taking responsibility for what was going on inside me. I started to try to figure out how, like what I could do to love my job again, because I knew I didn't want to spend the next however many years until I retired being miserable. And that's where I was. I started to just go to additional professional development and find out where my passions were and really uh, became more, I guess, in love with my uh, position as, as a tech integrator and figuring out what that meant. And from there, it just, I've, I've just gotten, I built my PLN. I did all the things that engaged people do and um, then moved into a, a tech director role eventually. And that's where I am now. Are you happier? Uh, you know, <laughs> I um the tech director, being a district administrator is an interesting role um, because I, I feel like most people dislike you most of the time. <laughs> You can't make a decision that makes everybody happy. It's just impossible. And so I I love working with teachers and I love uh, seeing that support transfer into the classroom. I don't get to do that in my district role right now because a lot of my district role is kind of some of the back-end Google work, like supporting Chromebooks, things like that. Um, my very, my favorite role I've ever had um, was the tech integrator role um, because I was able to give the teachers the support that I had wanted as a teacher and then see that, you know, travel throughout the schools. So that was probably my favorite role. So I was in that role in several districts in uh, worked in Oakland for Unified, which is for um, 23 years in different 
capacities and, and mostly in as a consultant. But what I can tell you, I know what you mean. Uh, it, <laughs> it's hard when you, um, I, I was uh, fighting with the IT department a lot because there were so many rules that would block everybody. And um, I'm trying to open up every door so I, they can actually do things. And, sure. um, but it was long before they have all these wonderful tools now. It's a little different. But um, yeah, I can feel your feel you because <laughs> I've been there and I love sitting one-on-one with teachers and actually going in the classroom and working with the kids and looking at strategies that they could actually integrate it, if, you know, effectively and more relevantly. So because the kids could feel it. So I, I know what you are going through, but on top of that, you know, you know, the symptoms of burnout in different, certain ways. You also know when there's not the support and what to do because you're reaching out. You've started writing books. You started, you're doing a lot of presenting and keynoting. And I mean, you seem to be so passionate about helping teachers and helping people. Can you share a little bit about some of the things you're doing and why? And yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, I think where this came from a little bit was in Wisconsin in particular, we had um, this um, law called Act 10 passed. And with Act 10, there was a complete demoralization of the teaching profession in Wisconsin. And um, it happened very quickly. It had to do with budgets. It had to do with um, the governor at the time, you know, basically being willing to license just about anybody to be a teacher, which, uh, you know, if you say anybody can do something that really, you know, degrades what people have gone to school and have become professionals at doing. And so I often looked around and, and I would see these teachers just being battered by the um, just society in general. And it made me feel so bad that people who are typically sensitive and empathetic and caring and all these kinds of things would have to take this, this constant bashing. And I started to think about what kind of, you know, just like what that must do to the students when their teachers who are such a huge part of their life and such a huge part of their day, you know, what that does to students when teachers aren't being supported and they're feeling bad and they're not feeling like they're making a difference in anyone's life or or whatever it is. And it made me angry that anybody should be in a profession that makes such a huge difference, um, you know, in just in our society in general and should actually feel bad about what they're doing. That should sound ridiculous to anybody that teachers shouldn't, shouldn't be valued. I felt like one of the ways we talk about supporting students all the time. And, and I've been in conversations where, um, you know, we've been talking teacher support and I've actually had to take the the conversation and steer it back to teachers because uh, teachers and administrators will inevitably start focusing on students, focusing on students, focusing on students. But the fact of the matter is, is that in order to support our students, we need to support our teachers. It's just been a passion of mine to kind of bring that back around and say, hey, like these people deserve to be valued. They deserve to be happy in their jobs. Um, they deserve support. And, and not only that, but by doing that, we are ultimately supporting our students because we are providing the best adults we can to those classrooms. 
that's that's where that's come from. And there aren't a lot of people out there who talk about teacher support on a regular basis. Um, it's usually about student support. It's get, We're getting better at it, I think. Um, I think that there's kind of this new wave coming in uh, of teacher support. I think we might have felt it earlier in Wisconsin because of some of the politics that had happened, but we're starting to talk about it. And I think that when I would say some of these things originally, people they get this kind of look on their face like, oh, are you sure you should be saying that? You know, and and then that would make me even matter. Like, yes, I should be saying that. We should be screaming these words, you know? And, and so that's why I started presenting about it. And when I see, uh, especially on social media, um, when I see the feedback from a presentation or, you know, where they've taken something I've said, and, and in particular, I just did a keynote where I talked about, um, you know, leaders knowing how they're, you know, whoever it is, their students or teachers, whoever, leaders knowing how they feel supported, how those people feel supported, how important that is. And a teacher went back and, and right away did an activity with her students on getting them to think about how they best feel supported by their teacher. And I saw it on social media and it just made me feel so fulfilled, I guess, uh, so much gratitude that anything I would say might make a difference in someone's classroom. And, and that's really, that's why I present and, and keynote and all of that. It's, you know, I, I usually say on a side note, I am absolutely fearful of public speaking. I have a complete, <laughs> not, I was not a fan. I had to work really, really hard on it. You know, like I said, when I was a kid, I never even spoke to people, let alone in front of people. And, and so it's something I've had to work really hard on, but I, I'm so passionate about supporting teachers and therefore supporting students that it's been worth it. So is that why you wrote your book, The Fire Within? I mean, is that, I mean, maybe because your own story and I just let you know, <laughs> I was fearful. And my first big speech, I got hypnotized. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, I know to to get over it because I had to get in front of a thousand people the first time I ever did a big speech. And I was so nervous. I was throwing up everything. Oh. And so I, I joke about it now, but it's kind of interesting. I'm, you know, I think that we all, when you have that passion inside you and it's been kind of pushed down and then you finally get it, uh-huh. that fire within you, yeah. you talk about, it's just amazing how it happens. So let's, let's talk about your book. Okay, sure. Um, so the fire within was started, um, for a few different reasons. I mean, really, it was one of those projects where at, at one point I just said, okay, this just has to be done. Um, but one of the ways that it started was that I had worked in a school where there was a paraprofessional and she was working with uh, elementary students who had um, behavior challenges. And she was repeatedly being abused by these students and, and little kids, elementary students, you know, and, and they they would flip their lids and, and, you know, hit her and kick her. And, and this was a regular occurrence for her to have to go to the hospital because she got bit and it drew blood or, you know, bruises up and down her arms and things like that. I was, um, just appalled by how this just seemed to be an accepted practice in our schools and how no matter what I said, there was no additional support sent for her to relieve her of some of these things. So 
I started to think about, so when you, when, so people don't like the word abuse when you're talking about students and teachers from the student standpoint, like students might be abusing teachers, like they don't like that word abuse. Um, but I started to think about, you know, when, when a ch- even a child consistently is physically harming another person, like that is by definition abuse. And then I started to think about the mental health ramifications of abuse and and what that means and i started to think about what what these people who are going through this on a regular basis what that might be doing to their mental health that was actually one of kind of one of the catalysts for the book another one of the catalysts was that i was having a conversation with my friend Tara Martin and we were talking about our our histories and our families and things like that and we had very different school experiences, but um, thought about education kind of in the same way once we once we got into education. So we had some some similarities there. But as I I told her my story uh, for the first time, you know, telling just about anyone in education, as I told her the story and and I I kind of got it out. At first, I felt so good about just releasing that information, and then I started to think about you know, how when sports figures talk about their histories and their pasts and their challenges and their adversities, we celebrate that. And we're like, oh my gosh, they went through all of those things. And that's so amazing. And now they make millions of dollars. That's so, you know, they, it's just, it's like celebrated almost all of the things that they, they accomplished even with their adversity, which is great and fine. And and I, I agree with that. Like we should celebrate people overcoming adversity. But when we talk about education and we look at teachers and we say, oh, you might have you might have a mental health issue, don't talk about it. Don't say anything. Don't talk to, you know, don't tell your parents, don't talk to your kids, don't. And then we don't provide them any support. And I was actually angry that we were celebrating this on one hand for one group of professionals. And then some of the people that should be valued the most in our society were telling them to be quiet. And so because my my history was child abuse and, you know, pretty significant uh, fam- like issues in my family and things like that, and I ended up with mental health issues, I almost felt the responsibility to start talk, like start the conversation. And it kind of in the, you know, with the attitude of if I don't, who will? And so that's where the fire within was born. I was both shocked and pleased and and everything else at, at the amazing contributors that decided to submit their stories as well. And it just came together as being a really amazing project, passion project for me to finish and, and hope that it helped just anybody, just one person, you know? So that was the goal. It's an amazing book. I couldn't put it down. When I read your story, I was crying, crying because I don't want to tell people your story. I want them to get your book. I want them to read it. Um, You share it in such a um, heartfelt way the reasons why you were quiet at school, the reasons why you did school and was trying so hard to please people. It it touched my heart so much. I I can't tell you. I do know that it's really hard to talk about it, but I know so many teachers, like you said, aren't allowed to talk about it. And they've reached out to me and others to say, what should I do? How do I handle this? And 
we're only human, but we're asked to do superhuman jobs and keep quiet. And so your book is just a, a must read, especially for any teacher who might feel they were in that they're in that same position or were in that same position where they couldn't say, "Hey, I have a problem here. I need some help." I I just don't even like I said. I'm going to put a link, and it's going to. I want them to buy your book, <laughs> and uh, and I really thank Sarah from Edumatch that she took a chance with you. On Absolutely, this. Sarah is. You know, if you know Sarah Thomas at all, she is every every bit as amazing as anybody thinks of her times a million. Um, I have only, as I've gotten to know her more, I only love her more. She is, um, she is what I would consider the uh, quintessential real deal. Like, absolutely amazing woman. And um, yeah, I was. I am very fortunate that I needed someone who believed in the project, didn't just want to sell books. And Sarah was all in on the project. She um, believed in it from the get go. So I'm so thankful for her. Yes, and she's uh, supported you in writing a new book. Well, yes. and, uh, the latest book, I should say, latest because there might. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know you. <laughs> and the, and that's Divergent Edu. Yeah. So Divergent EDU, I was actually writing these two in tandem a little bit um, because they were t- they're two totally different subjects. When people ask me about them and I, I start, I always start with Fire Within just because it was my my first one. So I start explaining that and then I explain Divergent EDU and they're like, so does that have to do with mental health issues <laughs> or does, does uh, Fire Within have to do with innovation? I'm like, nope two totally separate topics. So Divergent EDU is about a um, an organizational structure that I created to support teachers in becoming more innovative and divergent teachers. And it came from basically my view as, um, the, well, the, the positions that I've held, teacher, uh, tech integrator, and, and um, director of tech. And just that there's so much going on in a teacher's day that is keeping them from thinking about being innovative and thinking about being divergent, that it's very difficult for them to get to the place where they have enough uh, headspace to, you know, brain power to think about those kinds of things. And unless you have a passion for technology and innovation, you're probably not spending the time that you could to be that because you're not being supported in these other areas. And it has nothing to do with how much tech that you have or how many devices you have access to. And, you know, I've worked in a a district with two devices to every one child that was no more innovative than a district that had five iPads per classroom. It really is about the structure of uh, climate and culture, effective leadership, um, mindset, and professional learning that support teachers in becoming innovative and divergent thinkers. So the book is based on on strategies for changing those areas in order to kind of fill what I call the foundational holes and and in order to support teachers the best that we can. Well, you're you're right now in the middle of a book study, right? For divergent right. EDU, yep, we are. Yeah. Um, in fact, that reminds me, I have to follow up on that. But yes, <laughs> we are in the middle <laughs> of the book study right now. Yeah, I was. I just saw that. Yeah, and then the other is you uh, were kind enough to uh, guest host on my rethinking learning, rethink learning uh, Twitter chat. Yeah, absolutely. And that was fun. So I'll I'll even put a link to that if you want. Yeah, so we that can, sounds great. Because you did a lot of wonderful. You you, you what I love about you, Mandy, is that. Your passion, your, it's almost like 
you're you have a new life. You're you're so excited about sharing. And and um I, I bet you there's another book in you, right? Uh well <laughs> um yeah, I actually just signed a contract with um, Sarah Thomas and Edumatch for a follow-up to The Fire Within. Um, it's not going to be the kind of follow-up people were asking me for. A lot, I have gotten many, many requests about a follow-up to The Fire Within with more more teacher stories. And I think the first book, people were kind of like, I'm not sure what she's doing with this, so I'm not going to put anything in. And then once they saw the book, they they wanted to contribute Um and we're not we're not going that way quite yet. This book will actually be focused on student stories. And so the part one will be stories by students who have gone through adversity, um, how they have come out on the other side of that or how they have dealt with that, how it affected them in school. And then also answering the question, um, if you could t- tell your teacher anything, like one way that they could have been more supportive of you, what would that be? And so that's kind of that question that they're going to answer from there. Part two, we're going to have a parent's perspective chapter. And then there's going to be chapters on the brain, how the brain is affected by stress and trauma, a chapter on resilience, and then also a chapter on changing our mindset as teachers as far as checking our assumptions, watching for limitations, uh, for the limitations that we put on others because of the assumptions we make. So that is kind of what the book is is going to be about. Oh my goodness. This is perfect to have the student point of view. And there's so much, I guess I taught in middle school and I worked with middle school teachers and especially working in my area, you know, Oakland, uh, some of the kids, some of the things they went through, none of us knew. No one knew unless you sat down and talked to them. And the idea that you're going to let, you know, encourage student stories and then take it the next step on what you could do about it as a parent or a teacher or an administrator, probably. Yeah. And, and I hope, I hope it does help. And, and I think about, often, you know, the strength that it takes to write your story down, the strength that it takes to actually submit it for a book as an adult is, it takes a lot of, a lot of courage in order to do something like that. And what I'm going to be asking of students is above and beyond courageousness, you know, uh, to submit a story that's very difficult for them. That's probably not that long ago since um, I'm asking for ages up to 22. So I'm hoping that it turns out the way that I want it to. Uh, I'm hoping for something that helps teachers understand um, that sometimes kids aren't just naughty for no reason. And, you know, that there is generally a reason for their attitudes or the way they act or their struggles. And so I can't get that message across better than by asking students to tell it themselves. So, well, I wish I could talk more about it. <laughs> this is amazing, but um, I, I'm so excited. This is uh, I can't wait to get your third book. I can't wait to talk to you more. I can't wait to see you at the next conference. Um, I even have a selfie with you. So we're going to share <laughs> <I know>. that. <laughs> Uh, it's been awesome meeting you oh it's been awesome to have this talk and you really know how to bring out that feeling that passion that fire and uh you're making me all excited about wanting to write oh good good (laughs) yeah oh thank you so much mandy for taking the time to talk to me yeah thank you for having me i really appreciate it this was a lot of fun so we just finished talking with mandy freilich and i'm going to be sharing 
her books, her stories, and everything. I can't wait to put it out. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Mandy Freilich. Look for it, the complimentary blog post about Mandy. We pull together resources and links and more about her books, her story, all for you. So please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.